not only are you dealing with changes within the platforms themselves, um, changes to the Facebook algorithm or what they're prioritizing or what they're banning or, or constituting as hate speech or, or things like that, you're also dealing with what I think is a sort of renaissance of new platforms. Welcome to the Ministry at Scale podcast. I'm your host, Chad Williams. Join us as we discuss trends, learn from experts, and share practical tips to help your ministry multiply its digital impact. Welcome to the Ministry at Scale podcast. I'm your host, Chad Williams. Today, I have Chris Martin joining us. And Chris, it's awesome to meet you. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So, so Chris is the content marketing editor at Moody Publishers. He's also an author and podcaster and a millennial and just an engaged practitioner in social media. Um, so, so Chris, first, just, just walk us through your work experience, especially as it relates to the digital side of things. Sure. So um, graduated college in 2013 and got married shortly after I graduated. I went to Taylor University and got a degree in biblical literature, actually, but while I was at Taylor, I did a significant amount of marketing work. Um, I've always been a, a, a writer, um, just kind of as a hobby and um, grew up on the internet and social media from a very early age. My father worked for IBM when I was growing up. So uh, we had a computer earlier than most of my friends. So I was surfing the internet at the ripe old age of probably five or six and, and goofing around while my mom was begging me to get off so she could talk on the phone. Um, but uh, so I, I've always been interested in, in technology and the internet specifically. Um, but graduated from Taylor, uh, was in uh, looking for work while I was hopefully going to go to seminary and saw a job open up at Lifeway Christian Resources, which I wasn't super familiar with growing up in Northern Indiana. Um, I, looking back on it, I know our church, I know I led some VBSs that were from Lifeway and things like that. But at the time, I didn't really know anything about who they were or, or things like that. But I went to work at Lifeway in a few different roles over the course of my seven years there. Uh, when I started, uh, I helped three of their six vice presidents run social media and blogging. So uh, the primary guy I worked with was Ed Stetzer. So you may have heard of Ed. I used to help with his social media back from about 2013 to early 2016. Um, helped with his social, helped with his blogging, just kind of helped organize things there and brainstorm ideas and things like that. Um, and then I also helped a couple other of, of their vice presidents as well. And then I moved on and um, started leading some more content strategy across the whole organization. So I went from coaching and kind of shepherding some of our vice presidents on social media and online content strategy to kind of helping shepherd the organization on, on mm -hmm. online content strategy. So when I, and when I say that, um, I don't mean how to sell books or, or, or Google ads or things like that. I mean, blog, like long form, what's traditionally called content marketing. So mm -hmm. longer form, like podcast ideas and strategies or blogging ideas and strategies, as well as social media. So all these different kinds of online content. My job was to kind of take all these different ministries within Lifeway and try to get us running in the same direction, kind of have some standards of quality, some standards of practice and things like that. So I did that for a few years. And then toward the end of my time, uh, I helped launch Lifeway Voices, which is uh, kind of one of the main blog platforms of Lifeway. Uh, in 2017, 2018, we launched that. And then I also was in charge of 
running LifeWay social media. So um, I managed LifeWay social media for about two years during the shutdown of all of our retail stores, which was a um, growing experience. And uh, we'll put it that way. It was the hardest professional experience I've ever had for sure. Um, Cause it was just such a hard time to be, um, you know, trying to comfort and console customers and things like that, but then also uh, communicate clearly. So I did that. And then also we, at the time we had about 250 social media accounts and about 60 to 70 people overseeing all of those. So my job was to help herd all of us again in the same direction and even curtail some of that effort. There's way too many accounts to have. And so I did that. It was, it was a good time. Uh, in September of this past year, I made the transition to Moody Publishers. So I was looking, honestly, I, I love my work at Lifeway. I love the people I worked with, but um, I was getting a little bit burnout of the daily grind of social media work. Um, it's it's incredible. And something that that I didn't even realize while I was doing it was just how much of a grind on, frankly, my mental health it was. Um, and so just to be on the, I mean, social media can be a pretty rough place. Anybody who's ever been on it knows that. Um, and and it's no better, unfortunately, in the Christian subsphere of the social internet. In fact, it's, it's a little bit worse because you hope that uh, some of the folks you're working alongside or the, or the folks you're serving have a little bit higher standards for conduct. And then when you see that not be the case, it just really starts to wear on you. And so I was looking to get out of that sort of daily grind of social media work. And so now I, I work at Moody Publishers, which is based out of Chicago. I still live here in the Nashville area, but love Chicago, grew up going to Cubs games. I'm a huge Cubs fan and, and look forward to once COVID is over to go visit my coworkers for the first time in Chicagoland. Um, but I get to sit on the editorial team at Moody and I help with online content and things like that, much like I did at Lifeway. But they have, there are people whose full-time job that is. I just kind of help where I can. And then I also try to help acquire some new resources that maybe aren't the 200 page paperback books we would typically publish, but maybe they're, uh, you know, 80 page books on how to read your Bible more effectively or uh, how to uh, improve your prayer life or, you know, what we would call kind of tools and resources. These mm -hmm. not quite full 40,000, 50,000 word books, but more maybe shorter practical helps uh, that you're something you'd maybe read alongside your daily devos or something like that. So um, it's a new position for Moody. They've never had it before. And so I kind of get to forge some new ground and, and do some fun, we call them skunk works projects, some stuff that, you know, maybe we're, we're innovating and, and getting to do some fun stuff and, and chart some new ground where they've never done it before. And that's kind of my bent and my mindset. I got to do a bit of that when I was at Lifeway as well. And um, it's always fun to get to innovate and do some stuff that would be really risky if you're doing it on your, on your own and by yourself, but is really fun within a broader organization uh, like Lifeway used to be, or, or like Moody publishers. So I'm blessed and I'm really grateful to, uh, to get to do what I do. That's fantastic. What, what a great opportunity for early in your career, being able to sit under and be mentored by somebody like Ed Stetzer. And uh, um, yeah, I have high, high regard for Ed and, I think he's at Wheaton now and the yeah. Billy Graham Center and other things. And so, so yeah, that's, that's a, that's an incredible experience for you. I'm sure. Yeah. I, I have to working for Ed. It was the, it was the hardest first job I could have ever imagined because it was so intense working for Ed was like, and, and a couple of guys that we worked with are also super high into Micah freeze is a good friend of mine. And uh, he worked for Ed at the same time. And, um, he, it was like working in a, in a tornado or a hurricane. It was, it was like, Hey, 
Pew Research drops a new research. Let's let's spin up like some ideas about how we could write an article for CNN and, or or hey, Ed's got this spot on on uh, Fox today. He uh, let's talk about what what would be some good talking points. And it was so fun, uh, and it was such a it felt very much like working in a newsroom or, or something like that it was just very high speed, but man, for a first job right out of college, it was like, I had to get my bearings and, and but I have to say he, Ed, I have to vouch for the fact that Ed is one of the best people I've ever worked with and ever worked for. He's tremendous. He's so brilliant. Like I think he, he jokes that he's like in Mensa or whatever, like the, the genius organization, but he is, one of the most brilliant people I've ever personally come into contact with. And he would take a bullet for anyone who works for him. He's like, just the, he's so intense and high intensity and, and so kind at the same time. Um, he's just a really great guy to work for. So I just had to give him a shout out there. He's great. That's yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. You said one of your other roles was coaching the executives and what to, what what it looks like to do social media. So how engaged were the executives actually? I mean, obviously Ed is, but what about some of the other executives? And and also, if if some of our audience, they may be working inside of ministries where their executives may or may not be engaged in social media. And so, so what advice would you have for them to help their executives just do right in the digital space? Yeah, sure. That's, that's a great question. In my time at Lifeway, there are two times, two different roles I had where I kind of got to do this work. So first, like I mentioned, my role was executive leadership team, social media facilitator was my official title. And so Ed took up probably 70% of my time doing that um, because we just had a lot of plates spinning there and a lot going on. Um, another VP at the time, Eric Geiger, who's now a pastor at Mariner's Church in Southern California, um, he was probably about 20% of my time. And mm-hmm. at that time, Eric, he, Eric was over all of the Bible studies and books that Lifeway was producing. So Ed was over Lifeway Research. So like the research organization and all the data they were coming out with. Eric kind of ran most of the business. And so um, Eric was very focused on creating content to help Christian leaders who were in a wide variety of spaces, whether they're in the church or in the business world, because he kind of had a foot in both of those places. And so when I started helping him, you know, he was writing one blog post a week and barely posting on any social media. He was just Mm -hmm. learning about the value of it, but wasn't doing a whole lot yet. And so myself and another guy that I was working with, Trevin Wax, um, came alongside Eric and said, hey, you're a really great writer. We think that you could be writing five days a week and creating a lot more content on social. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that it would be really helpful for people if you did that. And Eric kind of laughed at first and he was like, there's no way I'm having trouble getting one post a week out. There's no way I could get five. And we said, well, yeah, you're right. If we kept going in the direction we're going, but what if we came to you every month with a list of like 20 different Mm -hmm. blog post ideas that we could see you writing just like titles, right? Like things Mm -hmm. that, man, we could see you writing something that looks like this because he was writing a book at the time about leadership. And he spoke in different meetings at Lifeway all the time about different leader ways of leading or habits of leaders or best practices. Um, He led like a young leaders group within the organization. And so we said, we really think that you could if you just started to think like a blogger, because Trevin is like a blogger at the Gospel Coalition and has done this forever. And I had a lot of experience myself. And so um, he was like, okay, well, let's give it a shot. And so with Eric, it was, you know, he went from writing once a week to writing five times a week 
um, in a in a couple months, and he went from getting twenty thousand page views a month to sixty thousand page views a month mm-hmm. pretty quickly. And it was just a matter of we know you have this in you, and mm-hmm. and I've never written a word for Eric. Um, mm-hmm. Some people he he went so quickly from writing very little to writing so much. You're like, well, how much are you writing? I'm like, I've never written a word. Um, but it, it's a matter of thinking of of yeah. seeing the world through a writer's lens kind of. Um, and, and we just really tried to help him think through, Hey, that meeting the other day where you talked about, um, three ways to be more efficient, uh, at email, (laughs) something as nuts and bolts and practical as that you could make that a blog post. Um, and so we would just kind of help facilitate that. And then Selma Wilson, who was leading B and H publishers at the time, it was for her more of like, we had a lot of conversations about the value of it, the motivation toward it, how to get better at it. Um, and because she was barely active at all. So kind of Ed, Ed was on the far end of the spectrum where he was, he was blowing going content machine when I arrived. And it was just a sort of like, let's keep this going. Eric mm-hmm. was almost in the middle where it was like, he's doing a little bit, but he could be doing a lot more. And, and Selma was more of a getting her going to begin with. And so it was, everyone was at a different stage of the process. And then at another point I got to serve, uh, as an author coach, in this same way. So mm. right when Stetzer left to go to Wheaton, mm-hmm. um, they asked me if I would do everything I was doing for Ed and Eric, but do that for as many authors as I could. And I said, mm. man, that sounds awesome. Um, I'd love to help authors who are traditionally, obviously very good at writing books and maybe, maybe even speaking at conferences or things like that. Sometimes that doesn't always translate to social media. So it's yeah. a whole different skill set. And, and so I came alongside anywhere from 15 to 20 authors and said, Hey, here's what it looks like to maintain a healthy social media strategy so that you, cause most authors understandably. So either are super active on social media and are posting all the time and want you to buy their book all the time. Mm-hmm. Or there's another group of people who don't want to be like that first group of authors and just don't engage in social media at all. Yeah. And I think yeah. both can be kind of unhealthy to a point, And mm-hmm. obviously so, and so some of it was reeling an author in who was maybe committing some social media faux pas or maybe posting too often. And then some was coaching an author who didn't see any value in it at all and helping them see the value and how they could really serve their audience. It's not, it was conversations like, it's not about selling books all the time. Like you could serve your audience in between your every other year book release by writing a blog post once a week or having a podcast once a month or something like that. Um, and so it was kind of figuring out both of the executives and the authors, because they're, they're both big personalities oftentimes. Um, where are they at? What do they think the obstacles are to doing better here? Mm. And what's the value for them in being more efficient and effective in these spaces? And then mm. coaching them toward that end. And so I really loved that. Coaching authors, I said back then, I still say today, I mean, I love what I do today, but I could have coached authors on social media for the rest of my life. It was so much fun to take people who just had, I mean, they're they really big name authors who like had, were selling a lot of books and selling out conferences, but who just like the social media just kind of confounded them. And it was so yeah. fun yeah. to be able to take this immense, like raw material of skill and and gifting and figure out how to then take my skill set and kind of funnel that into the internet for the good of the kingdom and the good of their audience. And it was just a really, really fun time. So that's a little bit of what that was like. And it's just, I've actually coached other people within organizations 
through some consulting that I do who are like, hey, I'm supposed to help this president be better at social, but they're not really good. And I don't know how to tell them they're not very good. And so um, we've I've had a number of conversations like that over the years of, hey, here's how you kindly tell your CEO that they could be better at social media or things like that. And so mm-hmm. um, it's really fun and, and it definitely takes some tact, but um, but I think the Lord's grown me in that over the years. And I think it's really important. No, that's, that that's tremendous. So just as you've, uh, as I've interacted with different ministries, uh, especially at the executive level or the author level, some of them either, like what you said, there's the two extremes and inside an organization, they may want their author or their leader, their face to be more active in social. And so sometimes they'll actually come alongside and, and, kind of ghostwrite for them in social. What would your, is that a good practice, not a good practice or what, uh, uh, how would you coach a ministry that maybe is heading down that path? Yeah, I would say, um, it, I wouldn't say it's totally wrong. However, I would say to use extreme caution when going down that route because it can get out of hand quickly. Um, so I've thankfully in my work have not seen a what I would call an unethical level of ghostwriting. When you have original thought, I think there, man, this is such a tough question because I, I think there's a difference between shaping something, shaping an original idea from an executive and coming up with an original idea for an executive. I think there's a difference sure. there. Yeah. Um, and I think in all of my work, I was never asked to come up with an original idea that then an executive or an author sold as their own. Mm-hmm. But what I did do at, at varying levels with different people was they would have an original idea that I would shape mm-hmm. and commu- help them communicate clearly. Mm-hmm. And what I would say is if you start getting down that path, the the shaping an original idea, uh, extensively shaping an original idea can sometimes start to slip into creating an original idea for an executive. And I think where you can start to get in some dangerous territory is if the executive or author, whomever they are, the personality starts to have ideas attributed to them that they aren't as familiar with as they would be if they did come up with them then it can start to create problems if say they're at a speaking engagement and somebody comes up to them afterwards and said, man, that blog post you wrote the other day about X, Y, or Z was really helpful. And they're like, yeah, I don't remember at all what that is about. Um, So I think I would exercise extreme caution and figure out ways to always have the original core idea, the original content Mm -hmm. come from the executive or the author and then have communications professionals of various kinds mm-hmm. help them shape that in appropriate ways. But like Stetzer's an, an, an awesome example. Geiger and Stetzer are, are, were different. I, I never came up with original ideas for either. With Eric, for instance, he would write everything out 100% and I would make basic copy edits and sometimes suggest some rearranging. Ed would often like for instance, voice memo in the car on the way to work, a um, blog post almost verbatim that then I would sort of transcribe and edit and maybe add a line here or two, like a transition line or paragraph or something like that. And so sure. both both had different levels of shaping. Um, 
but I never felt like I was uh, writing Ed's voice as or Eric's voice as an example uh, or like creating ideas on their behalf. And I think that's like where the line can start to get difficult. And I just would never want to put an author or executive in a difficult position where they somehow have to either defend or advocate yeah. for an idea that they never even came up with to begin with. So I think it just can get dicey. No, that's, that's a really good, really good wisdom. You know, especially in Christian ministries, you want to do everything with integrity and, and, and what does that look like? So, so yeah, I, I know you also uh, tied to your experience, both as a practitioner, as well as as a coach, you have a podcast called social cues. Uh, where you follow social media trends from a Christian perspective. So, so what are some of the social media trends that ministries should be aware of today? Man, that's a great question. Um, there are so many that these days that it's hard to keep up with. Um, back in the day, and by back in the day, I mean the olden years of like, you know, 2014. Um, it was like, which, which is shockingly seven years ago now, which is almost back in the day territory, but in, in internet years certainly is back in the day territory. Um, it was, you know, what's the latest change to the Facebook algorithm? Or mm -hmm. I remember in 2015 and, and 2016, Facebook started prioritizing live video like crazy. And so it's like, Hey, how do we how do we start using this new feature on this platform we already know mm -hmm. today, which was difficult to always be keeping up with like what was changing, but could really yield some fruit. If you realize, Hey, Facebook is, is um, disproportionately promoting live video over uploaded pre-recorded video. Okay. Well then everything we've been doing pre-recorded, let's see if we can do it live. And then you see a lot of fruit from that. And that's really helpful today not only are you dealing with changes within the platforms themselves, um, changes to the Facebook algorithm or what they're prioritizing or what they're banning or, or constituting as hate speech or, or things like that, you're also dealing with what I think is a sort of renaissance of new platforms. I mean, mm -hmm. for the longest time, it was Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. LinkedIn was always kind of there depending on your audience. Um, Pinterest hasn't been a super relative relevant social media platform for a while. I still think it's a relevant platform for curating content. Snapchat's there, but it's never really had like a ton of ministry use in my opinion. But now you've got like TikTok, you've got Clubhouse, you've got podcasting's more popular than it's ever been. Um, there are all these different media and and ways of consuming content that the biggest trend today is that it's hard to pin down what the right play is like that. That's something I keep coming back to in a lot of mm -hmm. conversations I've been having is someone will come to me in a, in a consulting conversation or a coaching co uh, that I, that I do. Uh, I have a, a handful of coaching clients that I'll meet with for about an hour a month. And mm -hmm. some of the first questions that come up are, well, what platform should I be on? Um, mm -hmm. Should I have an account on all the major platforms and my answer is always, well, first of all, no. I mean, unless you've got multiple full-time social media people having an account on every major social media platform, you're just going to create bad content on all of them rather than good content on a couple. Mm -hmm. And so I think a, a trend slash piece of advice that I've been seeing and giving to people is pick the one or two social media platforms that your ministry and particularly the audience you're trying to reach mm -hmm. for your content is on and build your content on that platform. So 
if you're trying to reach a younger millennial crowd and you have a brand that lends itself to a lot of great um, uh, visual content, then Instagram is your spot. If for some reason your brand or your ministry is trying to um, get the attention of teenagers or people in a youth ministry, let's say, Mm -hmm. then you should, if you have the talent, you should figure out TikTok. Um, If you're trying to reach the older Gen Z boomer demo and your ministry is targeted at them or, or uh, you have a more legacy brand or something like that, Facebook is by far your, your best play. And and a lot of people like to rag on Facebook that it's like for the old people or whatever, but I think, I mean, it's the most powerful out of all of those in terms of like, it's the least vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, TikTok has the most, for instance, TikTok has the most cultural sway these days. Mm-hmm. The number of cultural conversation and movements and trends that come from TikTok right now are unmatched. Mm-hmm. However, if I were going to like build a platform on a social media app today, and I was concerned about if the app would be around in five years, I wouldn't be building it on TikTok. I'd be building it on Facebook just because of it's just more stable. And so there are just always shifts and trends. And, and these days there's not like a right answer where it used to feel like there was a right answer. It used to feel like if you aren't doing X, you're falling behind. And today everything is just so segmented that it's kind of figure out where your audience is and create content where your audience is. And don't worry about every other dozen social media platform that's out there. So, so there's two platforms that you didn't mention as far as tying it to an audience. So I'm just curious about that one, Insta and Twitter, where would you see those falling in, in the audience? Twitter. Side? So uh, especially when it comes to ministry, Twitter is for um, your academic slash pastor types. So if you, if your ministry is trying to reach like pastors and church leaders or academics, I would say Twitter is probably a good spot for you. If you're trying to reach the pew sitting Christians who show up at church and go to Sunday school, um, Twitter is not where they're at primarily. Uh, mm-hmm. Seminarians, uh, more highly educated. I mean, there are stats to back this up. And I'm not dogging on Facebook people, but Facebook yeah. is the platform of the people. Twitter is the platform of the ivory tower, if you will. Um, and so Twitter is much more for like, you know, if I were marketing a book today and I were trying to reach pastors and church leaders, I would spend a lot more time and effort on Twitter than Instagram. Mm-hmm. Instagram is, I think, becoming the millennials Facebook is how I would mm-hmm. put it. Um, obviously, other people use it as well, but it's become where if Facebook is skewing older, um, Instagram and, and TikTok is skewing younger. Instagram is, you know, if I was trying to reach, if my ministry was trying to reach 20 to 40 year old women, especially, but also men, Instagram is where I would be. I would say Instagram is much more female dominated. I think back when I was running LifeWay's social media, Facebook was almost 50, 50 men and women and Instagram was 70% women and 30% men. Um, And so you just see a lot more lifestyle brands, a lot more aesthetically pleasing brands, wellness, beauty, things like that taking place and really gaining traction on Instagram. So I'd say if you're running a minute, a women's ministry today and you're trying to reach women in your community between the ages of 20 and 40, Instagram is totally where you're at. Hmm. I also think that Instagram is the Facebook of teenagers and TikTok is 
the vine <laughs> rip vine but like the vine of teenagers or like the twitter of teenagers if you will the other thing too i want to note this because it's a really helpful insight i didn't come up with this i think evan spiegel the founder of snapchat is who i first heard say this but when you're thinking about social media platforms there are really just two different kinds all of these different colors and brands and apps that you see on your phone really fall into two buckets there's social and there's performative. Hmm. I don't know if those are technically the categories, but Mm -hmm. uh, social and performative. Um, Generally, every platform can fall into one of those two as its primary purpose, though there is some gray. So Mm -hmm. TikTok is performative through and through. Like Mm -hmm. you're not creating content on TikTok to connect with your aunt. Mm -hmm. You're creating content on TikTok to perform. Um, Facebook is much more social. Now, do people perform on Facebook? Of course. Yeah, they'll have like show like web shows on Facebook Live or whatever. But it's much more about connecting with your aunt or your buddy from high school. Um, Twitter is Twitter and Instagram are kind of a hybrid, in my opinion. They're kind of they kind of walk that line. Snapchat, much more communicative and much more social than it is performative. But now they are adding a more performative function. YouTube performative through and through you're not again you're not you're not hopping on youtube to message your buddy from college um so as you're thinking about social media think about am i getting on this platform to communicate with other people like one-to-one or in some group chat or am i getting on here to create content to perform like as a creator uh because i'm a great singer or i'm a cook and i want to start like a cooking show or something like that um so i think it's kind of a helpful paradigm to be thinking about social media platforms that that's super helpful i don't think i'd i'd heard that before um communicative or uh uh, yeah communicative or performance that's that's really good so i i just want to reemphasize one of the things you said a little bit ago uh, for ministries rather than going trying to be in all the different social media areas and do a little bit of content really poorly instead choose one or two or three and to be able to do it really well and engage really well with your audience. And, and to do that, you have to know the audience. Who is the audience that you're trying to reach? And uh, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's really helpful. Yeah. So, so uh, one of your roles right now is a content marketing editor at Moody Publishers, which you said is a new role for them. Uh, what exactly do you do as a content marketing editor? Yeah, man, that's a great question. I, we're at my boss and I are asking ourselves that question every time at our <laughs> weekly meeting. Uh, but the right now, I mean, I've I've only been at Moody for um, about four or five months, which which is a long time, but also not. I've been really. I spent from September through Christmas just reading a lot. Like I think I was spending twenty to thirty hours a, re- a week reading books and and trying to get a lay of the land of what they've published and what mm. they've done because so much of my work is sort of taking long form book content and trying to mine out shorter form content of various kinds. So it's really important to um, get a lay of what's out there and what's worked and what hasn't, and then try to kind of assess the land before you start trying to mine the land, I guess is how I would describe it. So now that I'm through that sort of initiation phase and I do have a bit of the lay of the land. Um, there are a couple projects I'm working on. Um, first, kind of the, one of the core values of my job is to take 
we're a backlist curator who we have. His name's Kevin. He's awesome. Um, he's working on all things Tozer right now. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, Moody has access, has uh, the rights to publish most of Tozer's work. I don't remember the exact number of works, but um, he's really mining into a lot of Tozer work and, and it's wonderful and he's so good at it. Um, but he's what's called a backlist curator. So his job is to make books out of books. So he'll find old books and make new books out of them by changing some of the content or, or like reorganize, especially with someone like Tozer, who's passed long ago, um, and kind of reorganize some of that content into a new helpful way. Um, that's his job. So he makes books out of books. My job is to make not books out of books. Um, so my job is to take a book, uh, or other resource we've published and say, how can we make something that's not quite a full book out of this, but mm-hmm. could be a booklet or maybe mm. eventually we create, man, if this author is still alive and around, maybe we could create a video series to go with this mm-hmm. book. Um, they've done that some already, but maybe we could do, maybe we could set up like a scalable streamlined way of doing that. Um, and so my job, given my background, Uh, is to kind of say, okay, here's all of this wealth of content that Moody Publishers has, both in what they've published in the past and in what they're publishing in the future. They publish 60 to 70 books a year. Mm -hmm. What are some ways we can create some non-book content to help introduce people to these books? Or maybe maybe they never pick up the book. That's the great part about content marketing is I would never have made a good salesman because I'm not, and this is nothing against salesmen, but I'm just not forward enough like I don't like telling people how to spend their money. Um, but content marketing is great because what I do in, as a content marketing editor is my job is to help create a piece of content. Let's say it's a 15-page PDF that's an excerpt from a 200-page book. And it's like, man, this one chapter, chapter four from this book is just really great. And it's really helpful on its own. Like it, it, you could just read it by itself. And even if you didn't read the rest of the book and you just read this one chapter on seven ways, seven mistakes you make every time you pray, or I don't know, something like that. That would be a really helpful 15 page booklet to read. Um, My job is to like, Hey, that chapter, let's pull it out. Let's make it its own PDF. Let's ask people, Hey, if you want this, if you want this chapter, you just sign up for our email list and we'll give it to you. And then we might tell you about when that author publishes another book or something like that, because you may be interested given your interest in that in that chapter. But also, even if you never buy another book, I hope the Lord's blessed you with that chapter that you read. Like that's a valuable, it's not just an ad you saw on your Facebook feed that you just scrolled right by or, or an ad you saw before a YouTube video that was like, check out this thing and buy it. Not that there's anything wrong with those things. Some of my friends make that stuff and it's very helpful, but I really like to create content that in and of itself is a ministry and a help to people Mm that even if they never go on and buy whatever resource that it's Mm -hmm. referring to, that they were helped by that one thing. Um, And so I just get to try to read through some of our old books, look at what's coming down the pipe and say, what, how can we kind of mine some non-book content out of this and make it so it's helpful for people and also be a, you know, a way to grease the tracks toward buying the book. If the, if they're interested, you know, if, if it's something that, they, that would be helpful for them. And toward that end, a sort of like skunk work secret project that I'm working on that I can't talk a lot about is we're, we're hoping to create an online resource that can really be helpful for people toward that end. Mm-hmm. And so we're just um, kind of working on this 
project to Moody doesn't do it. Moody Publishers doesn't do a ton of online content. And so we're just trying to figure out how can we create more online content that maybe isn't marketing a specific book, but is helpful in and of itself. Um, that could be a service to people and, and help them get to know our books if they would be helpful for them. So, so yeah. Yeah. No, that I can just imagine as you're reading, as you're going through, you call it your initiation phase, as you're reading all those different books, but the lens at which you're reading those books is just, you know, you're, you're constantly thinking of what I heard you say, you're just constantly thinking ministry, how can this be valuable to folks, but also marketing? I mean, you know, the, another term for that is lead magnets, creating those lead magnets yeah. that are going to be valuable yep. to people. And, uh, but, but the mindset of ministry first, uh, that's been personally, my whole passion about digital is helping ministries see that the digital isn't just about marketing or not just about fundraising real real ministry can happen in the in the online space and uh, yeah i love yeah, to hear you say you have that mindset yeah it's it's really i think in in uh, mostly in my consulting work thankfully the organizations i've worked for have really i think largely understood digital ministry and digital marketing mm -hmm. effectively but in some folks that i've coached and kind of come across through consulting and stuff I think both the ministry and the audience is is done a disservice if social media slash digital content is seen like a billboard mm -hmm. rather than an opportunity for conversation and ministry to happen. Um, and so I, I've, throughout my career, consulting and otherwise, have really just had to remind people, um, especially, I mean, people who are, and this is no fault of no fault of theirs, but they just grew all their marketing classes they learned in college didn't account for all of this. Right. And so they just, they treat social media or blogging or podcasting like a radio spot or like a TV commercial or like a billboard. Yeah. And I think the value of social media is that it's social. Um, yeah. And, and I think a lot of folks forget that the engagement and the dialogue and the back and forth that happens on social media is incredibly important. And that's why I always say that a little truism, a little proverb that I have is consistency is more important than frequency. Hmm. So if you, a lot of people are like, how much content should I be posting in a given week? I'm like, well, you should be posting as much as you can, but as much as you can maintain. Mm -hmm. So I would never encourage someone to post to Instagram seven days a week if they can't do that every week for a whole year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, start out posting something twice a week. And if you can really get that down for a month, okay, great. Let's see if we can move you up to three times a week. And then you might start mm -hmm. to see a diminishing return from your audience. So maybe you really don't go past three times a week. And so it's really just important for people to have an ear to their audience, an ear to the platform and seeing what's working uh, and just not treating social media or digital content as a, we're just going to shout this from the rooftops and shoot it out there like it's a billboard and hope people engage um, social media is not going to, and, and online content generally is not going to give you the return you want. If you just kind of shotgun approach a bunch of content, it really comes down to building a community. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's consistency is more important than frequency. That's, uh, uh that's, that's a really yep. good truism. Yeah, that is. So it, as a practitioner of social media, oh, there's one other thing, one other, um, platform that I, I failed to ask about and that's LinkedIn. Now, LinkedIn, yep. from a content standpoint, is getting more and more usage. Where would you say that falls in in the audience audience arena? Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're in a ministry, um, I would say 
LinkedIn, I don't know the male female demographics. I would venture to say it's more male dominated because the workforce is more male dominated, I think. Um, but so I would say if you're a ministry and you're trying to reach people there, understand there's probably more males than females. Um, and I would say you could reach pastors there, but pastors certainly aren't there as much as business people are. Yeah. Um, more the market so Exactly. Yeah. More the marketplace. Yeah. So if you're trying to get donors, you know, or something like that, LinkedIn can be a really valuable place. Just know that a lot of people when they're going to LinkedIn are expecting self-promotion. I mean, I joke about LinkedIn a lot because it feels like I joke that it feels like every, all the worst parts of a business conference or something like that. Like you're just walking through like a business networking event and everyone's just shouting at you about how awesome they are. And I'm like, I don't need this. Uh, but yeah, I've made some really yeah. good connections with people on LinkedIn, not only that have led to yeah. consulting work, but also like, in a, like learning about the work someone does in a ministry that I'd never heard of yeah. before. So I think there is value there as much as I kind of poke fun at it. But yeah. I think understand a more older millennial, older millennial and, and up basically don't expect to reach anyone there. Who's not out of college, especially and, and expect to be more male dominated. Um, and just know that oh, yeah. people are expecting to be pitched and are expecting to be promoted to. So if you can just provide value to people there, then it's probably disproportionately more valuable than even any other platform. So, yeah. Yeah. So as a practitioner, what are some of the tools of the trade that you use um, outside of the platforms itself? Like, is there any, any tools or products that you found to be really helpful? Yeah, definitely. Um, when it comes to like social media scheduling, let's say, um, Lifeway had a enterprise Hootsuite platform. Um, I had a love hate relationship with Hootsuite. Um, Hootsuite was fine. Uh, and it, it did everything we needed it to do. I think part of the problem was we had overloaded it with 250 accounts, um, but it, it is one of the more robust social media management platforms out there. Mm -hmm. um, there are few that can do what it does. I know a lot of people like Sprout Social. I've never used it, so I can't speak to it. Um, but Hootsuite was really great for the massive battleship of social media accounts that we had, um, and it and it handled and their their customer service was really helpful as well. Um, I have used for smaller projects. Uh, buffer. I love buffer from a user interface ex experience, like perspective, much cleaner and easier to use than Hootsuite. I just wouldn't want to run more than a, a few accounts out of buffer. Um, it doesn't seem like it would be as helpful if I was trying to run a dozen accounts or something like that. Um, sure. but you know, if I'm, I, some of the consulting work I've done, I've set people up in Hootsuite with two or sorry, set people up in buffer with two or three accounts and it was really seamless and it looks really nice and it's really easy to use. So I think that one's great. Like I said, people have recommended Sprout. I've just never used it. So I can't say uh, WordPress is the best blog management platform. Hands down, there's no competition. Um, Squarespace's marketing is really great. It looks really clean. And I would say if you know nothing about managing a website, Squarespace is the easiest for a common person to come to understand. But if you want the best website, WordPress is hands down you're going to be your best option. Um, and cause there are just so many ways you can customize it and things you can do. I've used WordPress since I started my first blog when I was in the eighth grade, uh, all the way through to every project I work on today is WordPress and it's great. Um, so I recommend that, uh, Canva is great if you need to do graphic design and you're terrible at it. Um, mm -hmm. I am not a graphic designer. I'm even colorblind. So like never have me do any of your graphic design work, but Canva can make even the worst graphic designer look okay. 
Um, they have a free version that I, I've never had to upgrade to the pro version and it works just mm -hmm. fine for me. Uh, but they also have like a pro version with a lot more features. Uh, so Canva is good. A, that's an online image editor, yeah. correct? Yeah. 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 yeah Canva.com. I, I think they have like an iPhone app and stuff as well, but yep. um, Canva.com, you just do it right in a web browser. Yeah. It's great. You don't have to, like I said, pay unless you really want to. Um, Over is an iPhone app where I, I call them share squares. Like if you're creating a square image that has like a Bible verse on it or a quote um, over, I think it costs a few bucks maybe, but it's an iPhone app that was kind of specifically designed for superimposing text over images. Um, so I think that's a helpful tool. And then people have always asked me, this is the most common questions I get asked is how do I find images I can use that I can, that I don't have to worry about rights for a few sites. And they might all be related at this point because they all kind of look similar, but Unsplash, Pexels, and Pixabay, P-I-X-A-B-A-Y, are the three sites that I have bookmarked in a folder on my web browser. Um, they're all Creative Commons licensed, I believe. And um, so you can give credit, but I think you don't have to on many of them, um, at least on the Pexels ones. Unsplash, you may have to get, give credit. I always forget. Um, but you don't have to pay. You're not going to get sued, uh, nothing mm -hmm. like that. So don't just go Googling images. Um, that can get you in some hot water pretty quickly. Um, but, uh, use one of those sites highly recommend I've never, I've never paid for an image in my life. Hmm. Um, there might be some instances where I probably should have, cause I would have got, had better options, but, um, over the years, the selection of so many of those sites has just has exponentially increased. And so I've always had good luck with those sites and it's been really helpful. Those are fantastic resources. And, and for, if you're listening to this right now on the road or whatever, we will list all those things in the show notes. And so uh, you can come back and, uh, and, and click through to those. Uh, so at 5Q, one of the things we talk about is what we call our five multipliers of digital impact. And it's kind of like a funnel, but, but not quite. We think of them more like levers. Like if you pull the awareness lever, um, it's going to increase however it is you're, you're defining success. So the awareness lever, the engagement lever, um, conversion rates, how many, how, what rate people are converting, whatever conversion looks like, if that's a donation, if it's a signing up for a blog post, whatever, email list, whatever, and then average value, what's the average value of each, each one of those conversions and then retention, re re repetition. So awareness, engagement, conversion rates, average value and retention. Uh, where, like, if you were to think about your experience, which is mostly on the front end of the awareness engagement, uh, but, but where do you find yourself getting most of the attention in your, uh, in, in, in just in your world? And mm, I think the, the best piece of advice, universal piece of advice I've given to people for getting eyeballs, getting attention, because that is really the first step, isn't it? And you're exactly right. Like most of my experience is let me stock the pond with fish and then somebody else come in and do the fishing. Mm -hmm. um, and as I've worked with ministries, this is, this is most of my consulting comes down to this. So this is really valuable free advice that I'm giving right here. If you're running a Facebook page, and you're like, I've got 2000 likes on my Facebook page, followers on my Facebook page. Mm -hmm. Thank, thank the Lord, by the way, they're changing likes to followers here pretty soon. So we won't have to be confused when we say my Facebook page has 2000 likes. You won't have to be like, wow, you got 2000 likes on a post. No, I mean, followers. Um, they're, they're just making it followers soon, which is great. Um, 
the number one way to grow a Facebook page, like, and this is the best advice I give people and the success that I see from it is like, it's, I could, if I bet money, I could bet money every time it would work. Um, you got 2000 followers, you're a ministry, uh, you know, that, that serves, um, that creates resources. Maybe you're a blog that helps Christian moms be better Christian moms, whatever that means. All the struggles of being a new mom or a mom of teenagers. And how do I disciple my teenage son who hates my guts or, you know, like all these different things, let's say that's what your ministry is. And you've got 2000 likes on Facebook and you're like, how do I grow this? The way to get attention um, that I, the best strategy that I've seen is a share squares plus small advertising budget hmm. plus long, valuable, long form content is how I would mm-hmm. describe it. So mm-hmm. I've coached so many ministries and people, authors who are kind of stuck and they're like, I don't really know. And, and let's assume you're willing to post like three to seven times a week. And, you know, we've gotten over all the hurdles of how to create more content. Mm-hmm. If you can be posting a share square every day, what I mean by that again, is like, you know, an 800 by 800 or, or something like that square. That's like a graphic mm-hmm. and it's, um, uh, looks beautiful. You got it for free from unsplash or wherever. And you superimposed a Bible verse or a quote from someone, an inspirational quote, um, Bible verses always do better than quotes. Just if you're talking pure strategy and you're running a ministry, I get better response from Bible verses than I get from even C- C.S. Lewis is the only one that comes close. Um, but no, no A.W. Tozer quote as great as he is, is ever going to come close to Psalm 23. Praise the yeah. Lord for that. But yeah. um, creating Bible verse share squares or share squares generally creating long form content in the form of blog posts or videos Podcasts don't usually do well on social, in my experience. The reason for that, unless you're posting like the video of the podcast, Mm -hmm. because most people, if you just think about the psychology of it, when you're scrolling Facebook as you're um, hanging out after dinner or something, uh, you're not really usually in a spot to drop everything and listen to a podcast. Um, So most people who are mindlessly scrolling social media aren't in a spot to drop everything and turn on their audio and listen to a podcast. But they might come across that Bible verse share square and, and be encouraged by it and, and like it or comment or share it. So uh, Bible verse share square is a sort of like valuable on platform content, long form content, like a video can work or a blog post is usually what I've seen the most success with. Like if you can create some long form blog content and then here's how, what I used to do. Um, I grew the Lifeway Facebook page by a lot, a hundred thousand or so in, in a number of months by every Friday, I would go in and say, what was our best performing piece of content from the last week? Hmm. And I would find our best performing piece of content often was one of those share squares, which we posted at midnight, by the way, which is like the worst time to be posting. But on Facebook, as an example, they stick around like the content has such a sticky staying power that people would on the West coast would see it when they were going to bed on the East coast would see it when they're getting up in the morning. So we posted Bible verse share squares at midnight and they would always be our most engaged piece of content throughout the week. So I would, I had enough budget where I could pick two, my two best pieces of content and I would boost my best Bible verse share square for $125. And I would boost my best other piece of content for $125 every Friday. And then what you do um, and, and, this works if you're like, oh my gosh, I'm 
a, I'm a new author and I can't spend that much money. It doesn't matter. Spend 10 bucks. Anything you can give. It's just like gasoline in a car. Even the smallest amount will get you somewhere. Just more money gets you further. So, you know, yeah. if you can yeah. only spend 10 bucks a week, it's still, the strategy still works. So you spend that money. What that does is, and what you do is you boost that content because it was already your best content. So theoretically it resounded with your audience some, and then you boost it to different audiences you've created that may be interested in that content. So let's say the Bible verse was um, about, uh, uh, let me I'm think about uh, prayer or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so you've created an audience on Facebook that's like people interested in prayer, however you've created mm-hmm. that Facebook audience. And you boost that, you, you decide on that share square, oh, that share square would be best for that audience. So then you mm-hmm. boost it to that audience. And those are theoretically people who don't already like your page. Mm-hmm. And then your Bible verse was about um, being a single, or not your Bible verse, your blog post was about the struggles of being a single parent, a single mom, because this is a mom's, a mom's resource we're talking about. So you, you've created an audience for single moms of young children because Facebook scarily can give you all that information. So you boost that blog post to moms, to young single moms of, of younger children. And then what happens is you start getting a lot of eyeballs because you just spent a little bit of money uh, to start getting a lot more attention on those pieces of content. This is the key piece. So not only are people more people then encouraged by that content, which is a win in and of itself, mm-hmm. but then on Facebook, you can go in and everyone who has engaged, liked, com- reacted is the technical term, reacted to that content. You can go through and invite every single one of those people to like your page. Hmm. The reason this is valuable is because by, like, by, by inviting them to like, one, they're much more likely to like your page than a random person on Facebook because they've just engaged with a piece of content. So theoretically, they would be interested in the broader message of your Facebook page. They would be more likely, the percentage of probability is higher than a random person on Facebook that you just picked out of a hat. Um, And by inviting them to the Facebook page, they're now more likely to see every piece of content you post from now on. Mm-hmm. So you really see this, you really start to see Facebook pages go from very small incremental growth to some really kind of hockey stick kind of line graphs when you can start boosting for a small amount of money, good content from your page into audiences that may be interested in your content, but just aren't following you yet. And then doing that kind of repeatedly because the Facebook algorithm loves even the smallest amount of money you can give it each month. And it, and it benefits your organic content, your non-boosted content as well. So it really even if you're just giving it 10 bucks a week, feeding it and, and kind of you're kind of, you know, scratching its back a little bit and it's helping you on everything. And so yeah. that system, I don't know if I articulated that clearly, but that is how I have collectively throughout everyone I've coached and, and as a practitioner for the pages I've managed, that's how I've kind of gained the most attention is, and that's just, that's a Facebook only strategy, but most of the people I've worked with that's been their primary platform. Generally speaking, you're going to get the most attention when you understand your audience, understand their needs, understand your gifts, and find the intersection of all of those things. 
and constantly, consistently create content at the intersection of who your audience is, what their needs are, and what your gifts are. So if you can just consistently create content there and deliver more value to your audience than you request of them, you'll get more attention. So there you have it, folks. The, the, if you take nothing else away from our conversation, uh, you, you have Chris's strategy on how to grow your Facebook beyond your wildest dreams. And step-by-step uh, step right there. Thanks so much, Chris. That's awesome. Sure. Uh, so, so, Chris, what is one blog or one book or resource that you're reading right now or recently that you can recommend to our audience? Yeah. So I just, I very recently was reading a ton for my book. I'm right. I just finished writing a book that releases in February of 2022. And I did a ton of research for that. And so I've, I'm not currently reading, I'll recommend two books. I'm not currently reading either of these, but I just finished them and and I'm recently kind of coming and still reflecting on them and, and writing on them a good bit. First, I have to recommend a book that's quite old. And the main reason I have to recommend it is because it's my favorite book of all time. Everyone listening to this should read Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman. It was written in 1985. I have it on my shelf, all marked up with post-it notes everywhere. And um, it is it is a book that I've worn down as well as just about anything next to my Bible. And um, it, even though it was written in 1985, it is more relevant to how social media is affecting us today than just about anything out there. And the book that I wrote coming out in about a year is my best attempt to think if Neil Postman were a Christian and he were around for social media age, what would he say? Um, and, and it's just a tremendous book that I highly recommend to everyone. Uh, the other book that I would recommend, um, oh man, there's so many, uh, is... I'm going to recommend Lurking by Joanne McNeil. Hmm. Uh, it was a book. Uh, it's not, not a Christian book or, or anything like that, but it's about the development of the social internet. It's almost kind of like a memoir of the author. She's a little bit older than me. I think I was born in 1990. I think she was probably born in like 1980 or so. Um, but she grew up like as a teenager with the earliest stages of the social internet. And she talks about how users you and I and everyone else, how we make up the social internet and how we think of these apps like Facebook or TikTok or Instagram as technologies, as as tools. But she really talks about, she's just a tremendous writer and she talks about how people are really what, it's almost like an anthropological history of the internet so far. Mm-hmm. And just like how people are what makes the internet special. Like every time you Google mm-hmm what temperature should I bake chicken to or whatever? Like what, what's the internal temperature of chicken supposed to be? And you get a response from Google. It's supposed to be 165 degrees. Like a person put that on the internet. Like Google doesn't just know that someone crafted that Google response that it just retrieved for you. And what does that mean? And how do we, it's again, not a Christian book, but there's very much, if you read it with a Christian lens, you can really start to see like there are image of God implications here. There are, just so many, there's the human implications and the human development of the internet is so fascinating. And so the book is called Lurking by Joanne McNeil. I highly recommend it. Um, and again, read it, in, uh, inject your own Christian worldview into the book. And I think you'll mm-hmm. find it is really an interesting perspective on how we just see the internet. That, that is so critical. Um, I'm 
very familiar with amusing ourselves to death as far as I, I think it's one that I encourage my kids when they're getting towards the end of high school that they read before they, uh, before they uh, head out into, into college. But, but that, the, what you described about lurking, it's so easy for us in digital ministry to see views, to see likes, to see hits as just numbers or statistics and not realize that every single one of those represents a human made in the image of God on the other side of that screen and uh, where, where ministry is, is really happening. And, and uh, like, like I tell my kids often, so you never know when you're making a memory and how true that yeah. is on social media as well. Whether it's a good memory or bad memory, you never yep. know what kind of memory you're making. And yeah, that's a really good piece of advice. I, I have a 10 month old daughter. I'm gonna have to file that one away for uh, when she gets of age and we're having these conversations. Uh, that's, that's a really good thought. Yeah. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. How can a person get a hold of you or what uh, your blog, your email, your, your, uh, your sure. podcast, what are the, what's the best way that uh, the folks can get a hold of you? And you have a newsletter too, an email newsletter. So yeah, tell yeah. folks how we can get a hold of you. Yeah, we talked a little bit about the podcast, but um, I don't—I don't even know how many people listen to the podcast. I just like—I just like recording it. But um, the newsletter has about nine hundred people subscribed, and okay. and I, I get some good feedback on that. So you can find me on Twitter at Chris Martin seventeen. At Chris Martin seventeen is is where I'm at on Twitter. The What's newsletter the is stand for. Uh, so I'm a big Cubs fan, and I grew up in the '90s. So my favorite baseball player of all time is first baseman Mark Grace who wore uh, the number 17. So that's where okay, that comes there from. there you go. Um, so yeah, uh, so that's been my number all along. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at ChrisMartin17. Um, if you like, I, I monitor that as much as I monitor email or anything. So uh, you can just uh, reach out to me there. D my DMs are open. So feel free to reach out to me. My newsletter is in my bio there. It's just termsofservice.social. Uh, we were joking beforehand before the show started that that's literally the name of the newsletter. Uh, I joke that nobody reads the terms of service when we sign up for social media. Um, and uh, so maybe they'll read mine. Uh, so termsofservice.social is the name of the newsletter. And uh, it's free delivered every Wednesday. Uh, and then there's like a paid version where I write like original columns for Mondays and Fridays. Uh, that's just like five bucks a month, but you can get the Wednesday one uh, for free. And I just kind of curate some helpful links from around the internet of just like social media strategy or kind of social media cultural stuff that I've been reading or watching. Uh, Cause I think uh, that kind of stuff is helpful for people. So. Fantastic. Yeah. Chris, some Excellent, excellent tips, excellent nuggets, very practical, and uh, as, as well as just helping folks see a bigger picture of what does it look like to work as a content ed editor inside of a ministry. And so I hope our folks, as you're listening, that you got some good ideas and able to take away and apply those this week. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me.